Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of new thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool because you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. Welcome to the Internet Issues Podcast, where our internet crashes right as we're about to record, and who knows what's going on. Uh, I am a host, Colin Orton, he, they, with me. Another host, Al Gropey, they, them, we're switching it up this this Ooh. lifetime. <laughs> we're Switch, trying. We're switching it up. Yeah, um, and today we are back at it again with a little bit of Davis. We're going to read chapters five and six. Five, the meaning of emancipation according to black women, and six, education and liberation, black women's perspective. But first, uh, some heinous fucking things have happened in our world recently. Do you know that uh, Angela Davis is a doctor? Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Davis, yeah. Oh, Doctorate I should- in philosophy, uh, philosophy from Humboldt University in East Berlin. Doctorate in philosophy. Oh my god. Um. Anyway, uh, news this week. It sure is, isn't it? Do we want to do chronological, or do you want to start? I mean, I mean, honestly, we we've talked a lot about like the other shit going on in the country. Uh, the war on trans people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the war on abortion rights. Yeah. Um. But the big news this week is that there was a mass shooting in Buffalo, New York. Mm -hmm. Specifically, an 18-year-old 4chan Nazi Mm live-streamed the shooting up of a supermarket in a predominantly black neighborhood, which, by the way, that that supermarket, apparently they had to, like, fight to get that supermarket because that neighborhood was a food desert for years. Oh, Um, Yeah. Yeah, the gunman live streamed the attack on Twitch and I uh, hate cool rach- racial things inscribed on the sides of his gun. Yeah, uh, just a bunch of Nazi shit and uploaded a like Discord conversation he had with himself. Also a, a full manifesto in which he talked a lot about shock of shocks, great replacement theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, which apparently he had been radicalized in the last like 18 months on 4chan. Yeah, well, of think, uh, go ahead. Oh, in the shooting, I think I saw something that one of the victims. I think I don't remember the numbers, but it was what like ten, ten dead, three injured. Yeah, one of the casualties. I have to look up her name because she deserves to be remembered by her name and her deeds. Um, she was a, an organizer in Central Park, like, and I think it was a food bank or a mutual aid fund, like for twenty years. Warriors in the Garden. Uh, made a memorial about it. Pearl, okay, yeah, Pearl Young, 77, was shopping for groceries. She loved singing, dancing, and being with family, and Young ran a food pantry in the Central Park neighborhood for 20 huh. years every Saturday. NPR does not mention that. Uh, mentions Why the would shopping they? for groceries, but doesn't mention the food bank. Mm. Yeah, and the government of New York is, of course, using this as an opportunity to increase funding for the gun squads of the New York state police and such, uh, who one of the big things is, uh, that, that becomes apparent every time this happens is that law enforcement is incredibly bad. Just do a piss poor job of preventing mass shootings. Mm-hmm. 
And I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't want to sound, you know what I do. Uh, percentage wise, the number, there's probably 30 or more percent of people in those police precincts that are going to benefit from these, this new push for pro gun, pro police that share the ideology of the shooter. Uh, funnily enough, now that you mentioned that, a recent poll came out uh, that stated that one in three American adults subscribe to Great Replacement Theory. Oh my fucking God, how? Because it is mainstream Republican talking points. It's, <sighs> that is the standard rhetoric of American conservatives, is that they are replacing the white population with non-whites as a means of political control. And it is fucked, and it is obviously Nazi shit. But under a single layer, a thin layer of political talking point. Yeah. You just reminded me of a comparable statistic, actually. I think I, I saw a study that said that when, when there is more than 30% of women in a room with the same, uh, with 60, 70% of men, men will perceive themselves as being outnumbered. It That's really like funny. It's kind of funny. Same sort of. I mean, logical. it's the yeah, it's the uh, if all you're used to is privilege, then equality feels like oppression. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's the. But yeah, um, unfortunately, I think that we can safely predict this kind of violence only increasing. Yeah. Uh, given that, as it turns out, gun legislation does very little to stop mm-hmm. mass shootings. Who would have thought like anti-gun legislation mm-hmm. doesn't do a very good job of stopping mass shootings in a country with 400 million guns and 330 million people. Yep. I don't want to, I don't want to center this narrative around myself. I just think this is funny. My, I work in a big box retail store and my, mm-hmm. we, after one of my manage one of my shifts, like in our closing huddle, because if you ever worked in a big box store, you know, the huddles, um, they talked about safety procedures in light of the shooting. And I was mm-hmm. like, the, the tone deafness. <laughs> I mean, I mean, ultimately, but an IFAC is a really good thing to carry in a protest if you know how to use it. An IFAC can save somebody's fucking life. Um, I am uneducated. What is an IFAC? Individual first aid kit. Ah, yes. It's, it's uh, essentially what you carry to treat gunshot wounds. Fucking hell. And it, it is rapidly becoming not only something you should bring to protests, but just something you should probably carry around in your day-to-day life. This is dystopian. Uh, there's, and not, not because you're likely to get shot, but like, you know, the chances of... Someone around you. I mean, hell, uh, in, in the New York mass shooting. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, somebody deployed a tourniquet and saved somebody's life. Yeah, fuck. Like... These things save lives. And there are videos on the internet of how to learn to use them. Uh, of course, if you're not a fucking medical professional and there is a medical professional nearby, defer to them, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Good thing to have. Get an individual first aid kit, learn how to use it. I can link some, some stuff. There's also uh, IFAC funds that you can donate to. Oh, I'll yeah. try and find some of those, um, which try and equip people who are more likely to get shot at, especially uh, in protests. But mm. I got off I got off track, and and this is kind of a bad thing to get off track on, because ultimately the const the the perpetual threat of right wing mass violence, especially against marginalized groups and especially against black people in this country, is ever present now 
as much as ever, uh, if not more than ever, more than at least recently. Uh, yeah. We've we've hit that point where it's it's on the up up and up again, and this yeah. fucking sucks. Yeah, it's disgraceful. Uh, rest in power to Aaron Salter, Ruth Whitfield, or Pearly Young, <laughs> uh, Catherine Massey, Hayward Patterson, Celeste Cheney, Roberta Drury, Margus D. Morrison, Andre McNeil, Geraldine Talley, Zaire Goodman, Jennifer Warrington, and Christopher Braden. <sighs> rest in power. This shit fucking sucks. Uh, so we've we've discussed a little bit on the pod how right wing legislation is rapidly making things difficult for teachers, right? Yes, we have. So there was a really interesting NBC story about how teachers in Texas have to discuss the shooting oh. because of a law in Texas mandating not just political neutrality. Mm. but it's like an anti-CRT uh, thing. It is. Yeah. It's mandating that you provide a different perspective, quote unquote, an opposing one from a mass shooter. So uh, one teacher felt that she had to like justify the shooting. Uh, yeah. She, she explained what happened in the shooting, that it was a racist shooting. And then was like, and I suppose I'm legally obligated to tell you that he felt this way. Oh my God. Other teachers have taken what I think might be a slightly better route than, than justifying uh, great replacement theory to yeah. a room full of teens. Yeah. Uh, and just been like, I legally cannot discuss that with you. Yeah. Like, but they're in a tough spot because in some parts of the country, the law now states uh, you have to justify white supremacist violence in front of kids. Oh my fucking God. If they ask you about it. But parents of trans children are the ones corrupting our youth. Yep. I'm going to. Mm, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating. Uh, it is a fascinating situation. And by that, I mean. Right wing ideologies are contradictory and make no sense for the actual prosperity and future of our country. Well, I mean, unfortunately, they're. Their rhetoric is contradictory, but their policy is overwhelmingly clear on what they want. <laughs> the yes. reasons that they give for those things are, are contradictory, contradictory. <laughs> and why they do these things. But the things that they want are incredibly fucking clear. Jesus Christ. I'm, I am broken. We should move on to the um, one. <laughs> Yep. Me. <laughs> uh, yeah, this one is this one is the last one. And it's also short. Uh, but yeah, Mitch McConnell basically uh, said that, you know, s- told people to stop bitching about the Supreme Court. Uh, he said th- that it's the Supreme Court's job to give Americans rulings they don't want. Fuck you. It's literally not. Fuck you, Mitch McConnell. Um, oh, my fucking God. Yeah, it's so, yeah, um, that's that's the news. Mitch McConnell. You, I'm sorry. I tried to think of something to say, but just you. What the fuck? It's really, really bad. I'm so anyway. Anyway. <laughs> we, we did some reading. Oh, boy, did we. Well, honestly, I hate to say it, but uh, that second news article actually links it to the reading pretty well um, in terms of the power of education. Because today of Dr. Davis's Women, Race, and Class, we are going to be reading two chapters that focus primarily on education and the education as a tool for emancipation. Go it's um, 
Oh, uh, education sort of has a, a long history as both a uh, denial and providing of education as a uh, tool of social control. Um, mm-hmm. This chapter goes into a great deal about uh, what the denial of education is about uh, mm-hmm. and like how that was used as social control in American history, uh, mm-hmm. especially on enslaved persons. Um, but yes. mm-hmm. uh, also the providing of education and how things are framed uh, can be of great use to a, a government. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, largely uh, what comes to mind is the teaching of English. Yeah. Because uh, English wasn't really something that was taught in schools until uh, the British Empire started colonizing places that weren't English speaking. Hmm. And then Britain used the teaching of English in schools and the mandating of English in schools, uh, as well as the mandatory study of English literature as a way of establishing itself, not just as imperial center, but as cultural hegemon. Yeah. Uh, and wasn't it also a tool of religious conversion? Yep. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was also paired with the destruction of literature from the places that were being colonized. Mm-hmm. It's ironic, actually, thinking about how England made this big push for, oh, the uncultured nations will be made richer under our tutelage. And then in America, in the after the Civil War, they were like, no education. Well, and, and during the Civil War, it was the and exact before, yeah. <laughs> before, during, and after the Civil yeah, War. Uh, we should briefly touch on chapter five, which is more about reinforcing, as we've said before, Dr. Davis's book is impeccably structured. Each chapter builds upon the next in a beautiful, in a horrifying and beautiful manner. Um, and so chapter five is basically reaffirming the ideas proposed by Frederick Douglass in chapter four. I, if you remember from our last reading in this, uh, chapter four was when we found out that uh, kill your darlings the person who was great in chapter three turns out to be a racist asshole in chapter four um and that the split for the white women's groups that had been previously supporting abolition was over this like created idea that oh now that black people quote unquote have the same rights um they're going to get them before women and oh they're going to leave us behind and they don't deserve it rah, rah, rah. Um, but when Frederick Douglass was clearly saying, hey, we need this now because it is a life or a death, because if we don't, we are going to slide back into slavery. And chapter five is like, yes, they did, <laughs> because they were not able to secure those protections. Here are examples of how the post-antebellum period was still just more slavery. <laughs> they talk about uh, the ideology, the justifying ideology that Black people were, quote, like, made to be servants that was invented from the Bible that did not exist. Well, the, the, the did exist in certain interpretations of the Bible, but like this pseudo religious, like justification for the discrimination and oppression of people. Um, and so they talked about how after uh, the civil war and people sharecropping, obviously, and housework mainly, they talk a lot in this chapter. Davis talks a lot in this chapter about how for black women, pretty much the only jobs you could get were either sharecropper, industry laborer, and that was less than like 3%, or mainly domestic servitude. Especially for women, yeah. Especially for women. I have have some quotes here. Uh, Mm -hmm. The other type of labor that was incredibly common in this period and remains incredibly common to this day uh, is prison labor, specifically the convict lease system. Mm-hmm. which I believe Florida still uh, or employs a similar convict lease system. Of course it would be Florida. Day. <sighs> um, 
But, uh, quote, using slavery as its model, the convict lease system did not discriminate between male and female labor. Men and women were frequently housed together in the same stockade and even yoked and were yoked together during the workday. I added an even there because I uh, can't fucking read. But surprise, the, the prison industrial complex starts directly at the end of slavery as a way of still fucking doing that. Uh-huh. The prison industrial complex, domestic servitude contracts, and sharecropping were literally just, we want to keep doing it, but legally. They touch briefly, she touches briefly on um, the horrible conditions of industrial workers. But I think the majority of the chapter is about domestic servitude, because again, she is speaking from the perspective and like trying to eliminate the perspectives of Black women at this time. And she has a lot of accounts from from well the, this is actually interesting because remember in chapter three was talking about how why feminism and women's rights was so aligned with abolition was because they stood on the common ground they saw themselves as equals and we see a little bit more of like finding that common ground again for domestic servitude because women's rights uh coalitions of the time were pissed off about like the nature of women's labor obviously and there was a stark uh, like oversight in the part of these women landowners or like women who had husbands who were landowners that like were like oh we have to get clerks seat cushions because they're still on their feet all day while completely oblivious to the fact that their own domestic servants in their own home were suffering under worse conditions and um, because largely because they were black uh they mentioned in the article article we're reading a fucking book um they mentioned in the book that uh while it varied across the north and the south at this time a large portion of domestic servants were black women and let me just read this little there's an exchange between a feminist who is trying to uh, i highlighted it yeah, it's so fucking funny. Uh, a white feminist who is trying to petition for seat cushions for clerks talking to a another feminist that's like, hey, hypocrisy. The girls, she said, have to stand on their feet 10 hours a day and it makes my heart ache to see their tired faces. Mrs. Jones, said I, how many hours a day does your maid stand upon her feet? Why, I don't know, she gasped. Five or six, I suppose. At what time does she rise? At six. And at what hour does she finish at night? Uh, about eight, I think, generally. That makes 14 hours. She can often sit down at her work. At what work? Washing? Ironing? Sweeping? Making beds? Cooking? Washing dishes? Perhaps she sits for two hours at her meals or preparing vegetables, and four days in the week she has an hour in the afternoon. According to that, though, your maid is on her feet at least 11 hours a day, with a score of stair climbings included. It seems to me that her case is more pitiable than that of the store clerk. My caller rose with red cheeks and flashing eyes. My maid always has Sunday after dinner, she said. Yes, but the clerk has all day Sunday. Now, please don't go until I've signed your petition. No one would be more thankful than I to see the clerks have a chance to sit. <laughs> Fucking salty. Uh, I'm, yeah, and it's, it's... Oh, God, what was that fucking book that uh, made the rounds uh, in, like, 2014? The Help? <laughs> The fucking help. Uh, that, <laughs> that book made the rounds uh, a few years ago. And uh, I can't believe that Dr. Davis debunks that whole fucking fad with one quote. Just fucking. Actually, I can believe it. Mm-hmm. Fucking Angela Davis. Uh, but like, 
it's very notable among whom that book was a fad. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Middle-aged white feminist. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, holy fuck. It, why, things don't change. Things don't fucking change. Yeah. And they do, but it's slow. <laughs> it's so fucking slow. We are it's, in a 30-year yeah. cycle, the same ideas being repeated. Well, another thing I want to touch on in the domestic servitude portion before we move on to other things is uh, the idea that it was largely the reason, well, obviously the reason was racism, um, but one of the reasons used to justify that racism was just that the the white public could not get past this conception in their head of, oh, people I deem a lower class can only work certain jobs, can only be seen in public in certain roles. And she speaks of the story where a woman who worked as a nanny for like, I think it was 30 years. I'm going to find it. She worked as a nanny to white children for a long, long time. And she was, when they started integrating buses, she would often be, here we go. Okay. Oh, they also talk about the fact that pretty, that signing up for domestic servitude was pretty much a guarantee you were going to be sexually harassed or assaulted. And that uh, y- you could be retaliated against hard for yeah. complaining or trying to report that kind of sexual harassment or assault. Mm-hmm. A woman Including who, literally being, go for it. Well, yeah, I mean, a woman who refused to let the madam's husband kiss her uh, and then told her husband um, when her husband came to the man who had insulted me, the man cursed him and slapped him and had him arrested. The police fined my husband $25 in 1918, $25. Holy fuck. Just because you tried to kiss his wife and he had some things to say about it. Fucking no justice. Um, but the, the original point I wanted to say was um, there's this interesting thing where she talks about I'm only allowed the woman who is speaking here, who was this nanny for a long, long time. who was domestic servant in white households for a long time. Twenty five dollars in 1918 is $478 today. Fucking a month's rent in some in most parts of the country. In some parts of the country. <laughs> it's not most, unfortunately. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, but imagine. And so the she she talks about only being allowed to exist in the frame of a servant. Uh, Here's a quote from her experience. I have gone on the streetcars of the railroad trains with the white children, and I could sit anywhere I desired, front or back. If a white man happened to ask some other white man, what is this, brackets mine, person doing in here, and was told, oh, she's the nurse of those white children in front of her, immediately there was a hush of peace. Everything was all right as long as I was in the white man's part of the streetcar and the white man's coach as a servant, a slave. But as soon as I did not present myself as a menial by not, by not having the white children with me, I would be forthright assigned to the brackets mine black people seats or the brackets black people's coach. And I just, it's, uh. also fun thing I learned yesterday. Yesterday was my partner's graduation and there was a really great speaker. I'm going to find his name. Uh, he worked for the ACLU. He centered his speech mainly around the rights of black people. And I was like, hell yeah, fucking thank God our institution who has had so many fucking problems with discrimination and diversity is getting such a renowned speaker to talk about black issues and their commencement. Um, But one thing he said, and I will find his name. um, One thing he said was, you know, before Rosa Parks, there was actually another person who refused to leave the bus first, a 15 year old girl who just had had it that day and was just fed up and refused to move. And she was uh, 
manhandled by burly policemen and arrested. And so it's interesting we don't hear about those other perspectives. We, we hear about Rosa Parks, the 42-year-old, soft-spoken, sort of strong power, but we don't hear about the 15-year-old Spitfire who says, no, fuck this. I'm going to find his name. Continue while I, while I look that up. Oh, just, yeah. Um, brackets, yeah. Uh, some, real, some real slurs in there. That's horrific. I found the quote. I was like, oh, Jesus. It's bad. Yeah, one sec. Drew, do you have your commencement packet? I found it. Vincent Warren, JD. Great speaker. So you want to move on to chapter six? I think that largely covers chapter five. Absolutely. I am happy with Uh, that. There's some some great quotes from uh, W.E.B. Du Bois. um, Oh, yeah. It talks about the like the hateful badge of slavery and medievalism. Yeah. Anyway, chapter six is largely about education. And uh, the denial of education, specifically the ability to read as a means of social control. Education has been proven to improve critical thinking. <laughs> that's, that's enough of a reason for people, oppressors, to try and take it away from you. And uh, Angela, of course, phrases that Dr. Davis, I can't call her Angela. Um, Dr. Davis phrases that much more eloquently than I did in that. It was just a proven correlation between education and liberation. But yeah, there's a quote that, uh, you know, knowledge unfits a child to be a slave. Mm, Frederick Douglass. Yeah, certainly. Here's a quote. A great numbers of slaves also wanted to be unfit for the harrowing existence they led. A former slave interviewed during the 1930s, Jenny Proctor, recalled the Webster's spelling book, which she and her friends had surreptitiously studied. None of us was allowed to see the book or try to learn. They say we get smarter than, uh, I'm not going to read this. And I mean, I'm going to read it how it says. They say we get smarter than they was if we learn anything, but we slips around and gets hold of that Webster's old blueback speller and hide it away till in the night. And we light a little pine torch and study that spelling book. Because, and they talk about this as well. Uh, I think there's a great quote somewhere, I'll find it, where they say uh, teachers who were traveling to the South to teach in great numbers, a lot often as part of a initiative to like educate more people, they found that the desire for learning was so much greater in black children in the South than it was white children in the North. They really wanted to learn because they knew it was an excellent tool for liberation, for arming oneself with knowledge. And it makes me think about right now, this anti-CRT, like talking points and everything. They don't want to teach the concept of race so that people can't form opinions about it and have to swallow what they have. Because we know that being educated about race and specifically about the, yeah, the history of race in this country. makes you change your mind about a couple things yeah it was it was uh prohibited in every southern state except uh maryland and kentucky uh to teach enslaved persons how to read and they talk about like the horrible like the things that teachers had to go through they also mention that uh, the the south's public school system is largely a result of predominantly black institutions that were made during this time. Like they have the public school system they do because there was such a push to educate young black children and black colleges in the South had like redonkulous numbers for that time of like that period in history. People weren't going to college as much in the history like period, but where is this? They had like, they were of 3000 something educational facilities. They had, here we go. Some two, two, oh, fuck, I 
definitely lowered that number in my head. Some 247,333 pupils attended 4,329 schools, which were the building blocks for the South's first public school system, which would benefit black and white children alike. Yeah, according to uh, Du Bois, there was a a 5% literacy rate Mm. uh, among black people in the South at this time because of how predominant bans on education had been. And it is not surprising that the first public education systems in the South were established uh, during Reconstruction as a as a result to uh, or, or as an attempt to address that iniquity. Right. Uh, that it's being- also it's interesting that we had so many educational institutions pop up during Reconstruction to then be closed during the the reactionary period. Yeah, uh, Jim Crow. It's almost like uh, something we might be seeing now where there's a fucking massive right wing reaction to any kind of social progress. Mm -hmm. God, fucking one step forward, two steps back. This country sucks. This country does suck. Uh, uh, Two other parts that... I want to touch on briefly just because they were yep. so poignant. And again, read this book, y'all. It's Please. so good. At one point, here we go. At, this is to the point that people, black people also knew that this was a tool for their liberation. People knew that education. Yeah. yeah. I love this. There's quotes from literal of children. Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not complicated. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I feel kind of dumb restating it so many times just because, like, obviously. Um, But I love these. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, they weren't like they couldn't read. That doesn't make them stupid. Yeah. (laughs) They could obviously see what was going on in front of them. Oh, another thing I briefly wanted to mention before is just uh, Myrtilla Minor. Myrtilla Minor was a woman who opened a school for black children. Let me. She was in communication with Frederick Douglass. And in Frederick Douglass's opinion, relatively few white people outside the anti-slavery activists would sympathize with Martilla Minor's cause and support her against the mob. This was a period, he argued, of diminishing solidarity with black people. In retrospect, Douglas confessed that he did not really understand the depth of this white woman's individual courage. Despite the grave risks, Martilla Minor opened her school in the fall of 1851, and within a few months, her initial six students had grown to 40. She taught her black students passionately over the next eight years, simultaneously raising money and urging congressmen to support her efforts, even acting as a mother to the orphan girls who she brought into her home so that they might attend the school. And then she eventually died in the burning of the schoolhouse. But like eight years, this woman ran a black person's college. And after the schoolhouse burned down, Frederick Douglass said, I never passed the minor normal school for colored girls, uh, a school that was opened later uh, in honor of the minor's school that was burned down. I never passed the minor's normal school without a feeling of self-reproach that I could have that I could have said ought to quench the zeal, shake the faith, and quail the courage of the noble woman by whom it was founded and whose name it bears. Just fuck, dude. Yeah. I honestly think that's a pretty good place to cap it. I think that's... Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, in total, the fifth chapter was the reaffirmation of Frederick Douglass's concerns from the fourth chapter that without protections uh, for Black people in the South they would slide back into slavery-like conditions. And then the fifth, the sixth chapter is explaining that education 
was the primary tool, even because even when I think there's a quote somewhere I'm trying to find that even when they realized that landowning and economic power were falling out of their grasp and were not necessarily attainable goals at that time, they strove for education. They were like, but we are not fucking giving up our fight for education, which was then made clear that obviously landowning and economic rights and the vote were still on the mind. They just knew like, yeah, first things first, let's get rid of illiteracy. I think that pretty succinctly sums up uh, what we discussed on this day. Who Patrick been- Douglas is a G and I'm angry about things, Fair. but this book is great and you should read it. Colin, who have you been? <laughs> I have been Colin Orton, he, they, uh, you can follow me wherever, uh, you can follow this podcast at Lift Us Pod on Twitter, send us hate mail at gettinginformedpod at gmail.com. Al, who have you been? I've been Al Gropey, they, them, you can follow me on Instagram at al.gros, I'm going to make a professional Instagram at some point when I get my new headshots, and I'm going to change my website and give it a new name, so... The website joke is over forever now. <laughs> <laughs> as, as it should be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, goodbye. We love you. So we will be taking a two-week hiatus. Uh, and then we will return with guests and books. Uh, things have been a little hectic and continue to be. But enjoy your two weeks without us screaming the worst news in your ear uh we'll miss have, you <laughs> we'll miss you have a have a good couple weeks and we'll see you later use this time to think about yourself or don't if that causes you strife <laughs> you don't have to oh uh, i want strife yeah we knew that <laughs>